0: This is Amy Hill. Thanks for tuning in to Amy on the Hill, a podcast born out of Jesus' teaching in Matthew chapter 5, verse 14, which says, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. This is episode six of Amy on the Hill, and this is our first book study discussion of Tim Keller's book, Jesus the King. If you are new to the podcast, if this is your first time listening, welcome. As I mentioned, we are just getting started on a book study. You are free to jump in and read along at any point, just grab a copy of Jesus the King by Tim Keller and then check out our reading schedule under the resources section of my website amyonthehill.com. Of course, you do not need to read along in order to benefit from this podcast. So feel free to just listen in and hopefully be encouraged by our discussion here today. To kick things off as always, I'm going to open us up in prayer. So let's take a minute if we can, let's stop what we're doing and let's pray. Lord God, we come to you in the holy name of Jesus. We thank you so much for hearing our prayer today. Help us to quiet our hearts before you. Everything around us feels like a distraction. We have long to-do lists. We have many concerns, many fears and worries. There are situations and relationships in our lives that want to occupy our thoughts even right now. Maybe we are angry with someone. Maybe we've been procrastinating on something and it keeps coming up in our minds. We can't rest. Maybe we feel lonely. Maybe we feel numb or we want to feel numb. We want to escape into a show or into exercise or into shopping or by scrolling through social media. It's so difficult for us to be quiet before you. Please help us, Holy Spirit. Help us to breathe. Help us to relax. Help us to be still and know that you are God. Thank you for bringing each one of us here. We are not here accidentally. You know and love each person praying along. Thank you for giving us a heart to want to seek you and know you. That comes from you. Because nothing good in us can come from us apart from you. So thank you. Thank you for your unmerited favor and love. Thank you for your holy word. And the hope we have because of the promises of your word. Please let this time be used of you to bring each one of us into a closer relationship with you. We don't earn points with you by listening to a podcast or reading a book. We don't need any points. We have all the points already because of Jesus. But we want to listen. We want to read. Because we believe that where you are, we have life. Our lives make sense with you at the center. Everything in our flesh wants to be about ourselves to do what we want to do. But We are never happy when we choose our own way. So help us, Lord, to choose you. Help us to bring you a lot of glory. Conform us into your likeness. Sanctify us by your word. We pray in the mighty and matchless name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, I'm excited to jump in today. If you're reading along with us, you know that this week we read the Before section as well as chapters 1 and 2 of Jesus the King, and we also read Mark chapter 1 out of the Bible. So that will be the basis for the conversation today. In preparing for today, I was praying for everyone, and I thought about all the different people who spent time this week reading Mark chapter 1 and seeking the Lord by trying to apply their minds to understand what Tim Keller wrote in our reading from Jesus the King. And the thought of that just really encouraged me because that is what this is all about. I'm so glad you tuned in to listen to the discussion today. And I'm praying it will be a great encouragement to you and that it will reinforce some of what you read this week because this podcast is primarily about keeping you on a schedule, helping you process and fully absorb some of what you read this week during your personal time with the Lord, but that is where the real treasure is. That special time, that quiet time, the time you spent alone with the Lord this week, the time you spent seeking him through his word. I like to think about how we were all in different spots hanging out with God this week. Um, I was jotting down, maybe some people were reading in their favorite chair, maybe somebody was laying in bed, Some of you might have been on a break at work or sitting in your parked car. A friend told me she did a bunch of her reading on the train. Wherever you were, I hope you were able to sense that God met you there. And I hope God meets you through this podcast too, but I just wanted to speak to that very personal, quiet space you had with God during your reading this week. I wish we were hanging out. know, face-to-face, because I want to ask you, what really stood out to you in our reading this week? Since I didn't have the foresight (laughs) to ask you that in the podcast last week, I'm going to ask that this week you let me know, what really stands out to you in our reading? Send me a message, or better yet, record an audio message on your smartphone and send it to me in an email, that way I can try to play it on the podcast, because I am so curious Uh, How God spoke to you. About five years ago, I spoke at a mom group and afterwards a woman came up to me and said that when she was listening to me talk, the Lord really convicted her about something in her marriage. And I've never forgotten that because I didn't talk at all about marriage that morning or even relationships Really, I think I was just giving my testimony, but that's what's interesting about the Lord. We could all be listening to or reading through the same thing, and He will speak to us so personally through it. So I wonder, you know, what really stood out to you in our reading this week? Um, I'm one of those people who likes to underline and star and even write comments or questions in the margins of my book. So In preparing for today, I obviously started flipping through, looking at what I'd noted uh, during my reading. And in the before section, I, of course, underlined what Tim Keller said was the purpose of this book. Keller wrote, My purpose here is to try and show through Jesus's words and actions, how beautifully his life makes sense of ours. I'm going to say that again. My purpose here is to try and show through Jesus's words and actions how beautifully his life makes sense of ours. Said another way, Keller says the whole story of the world and how we fit into it is most clearly understood through a careful, direct look at the story of Jesus. That is a big claim, isn't it? The whole story of the world and how we fit into it is most clearly understood through a careful, direct look at the story of Jesus. I believe it is. That's why I'm doing this podcast, because nothing has made sense of my life or this world besides Jesus. And if you haven't already, I want you to experience that too. If you didn't get a chance to watch the video I posted of Tim Keller's talk at the 2013 Gospel Coalition Conference. Definitely try to check that out. You can find it at the bottom of the resources section of my website, amyonthehill.com. I mention that now because also in the before section of the book, Keller gets into the argument uh, over whether the Gospels are actually reliable records of Jesus's life. And I think that in his Gospel Coalition talk, he does a fantastic job of explaining why we can rely on the Gospels as true accounts. That being said, I'm not going to get into that today. But what I will say is, if you have questions about that, if you have questions about the reliability. Of the Gospels or of the Bible in general, push into those questions. I once read a quote by an author named Byron Katie. I have no idea what she wrote other than this quote, uh, but I like this quote and I have thought of it often since I first read it. And what the quote is is, an uncomfortable feeling is not an enemy. It's a gift that says, "Get honest." inquire. An uncomfortable feeling is not an enemy. It's a gift that says, get honest, inquire. As I talk with you today, I am fully convinced that the Bible is the divinely inspired word of God, but I didn't always believe that. So if you don't believe that, don't shut down. Don't push that doubt to the side. Get honest, Inquire. God can handle your questions and his word will stand up to whatever test you want to apply to it. You don't have to worry that it will crack under your questions or even your doubts. God's word is sure. It is solid. You can stand up on it. So Mark, hopefully you had a chance to read Mark chapter one this week, as you know, Keller chose to explore the life of Jesus by walking us through the gospel of Mark. I actually just read Mark chapter one again today, and I find it so interesting that the gospel of Mark is most certainly the eyewitness testimony of Peter. Mark had been a secretary and translator for Peter. And as Keller pointed out, he communicates in a very fast-paced style. One of my good friends, Monica, recently gave me a book by an author named Barbara Arnold entitled Keys to Dynamic Bible Study. And in that book, Barbara Arnold explains that God uses a variety of techniques to grab our attention as we read the Bible. She calls these attention-getting techniques, keys, And one of those attention-getting keys is the repetition of words or phrases. So often we read biblical accounts in which one word or phrase is repeated several times. With that in mind, I want you to check out the amount of times Mark repeatedly uses the word immediately. I am reading out of the English Standard Version, and this is a quick count. It may be more, but at first glance, I count 10 times that he uses the word immediately. As Jesus was being baptized by John in Mark chapter 1, verse 10, it says, When he came up out of the water immediately, he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. In verse 12, it says, The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. In verse 18, it says, Immediately they left their nets and followed him. In verse 20, it says, Immediately he called to them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat. In verse 21, it says, And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching. Verse 23 says, Immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. Verse 28 says, at once, which is not immediately, but it's a similar vibe. At once, his fame spread everywhere. Verse 29 says, immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew. Verse 30 says, Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And verse 42 says, immediately the leprosy left. Keller says of this, you can't help but notice the abruptness and breathless speed of the narrative. Mark's style communicates a sense of crisis, that the status quo has been ruptured and we can't remain neutral. My sister Denise just had the amazing blessing of being gifted a trip to visit Israel for 10 days over Christmas. And one of the cool things we were talking about when she got back was the fact that she went she physically went to the places we've read about in bible stories our whole lives that is crazy cool to me Uh, which by the way i really want to go to israel if anyone is trying to figure out what to get me for my birthday this year israel no anyway what i'm saying is Just like the places in the Bible are actual physical locations, Mark is talking about an actual historical person here. I think Jesus can be so other in our mind, whether we grew up in the church or not, uh, that we forget that he actually lived here on earth, like Abraham Lincoln, or like Mary, Queen of Scots. (laughs) Please do not ask me why these people are popping into my head. I did a report on Mary, Queen of Scots in like the third grade, I think. So <laughs> maybe that's where she came from. But but anyway, as Mark boldly declares in verse one, Jesus Christ, the son of God has come and he's changed everything. Maybe you can accept that Jesus lived. No credible historians really dispute that, but perhaps you're not sure He was the son of God. Perhaps you think Jesus was just a good teacher. Sure, he walked the earth and he did a lot of good things, but that doesn't mean he was the son of God. He was just a good man. That is a popular viewpoint today. And that was also a popular viewpoint in the early 1900s during the life of C.S. Lewis, who was a teacher at Oxford University and wrote a book entitled, Mere Christianity. He's actually also Tim Keller's favorite author. So you will see that Keller likes to quote C.S. Lewis frequently. But in any case, in C.S. Lewis's book, Mere Christianity, in response to the idea that perhaps Jesus was just a good teacher, Lewis wrote this. I'm trying to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he is a poached egg Again, that was C.S. Lewis in his well-known book, Mere Christianity. And what he's saying is that Jesus made it clear during his time on earth that he was the son of God. So we cannot remain neutral. Either he is who he said he is, the son of God, or he is a liar, or he is a lunatic. He cannot merely be a good teacher. He is either a liar, a lunatic, or he is Lord. Keller explained to us that Mark's account of Jesus's life is presented in two parts, his identity as king over all things, which is laid out in Mark chapters 1 through 8, and then his purpose in dying on the cross, which makes up the second half of Mark, Mark chapter chapters 9 through 16. And so Part one of this book addresses Jesus as king and part two of this book considers Jesus's purpose and coming. In Mark chapter one and in chapter one of our book, Jesus the King, which was that complicated chapter that addressed the mystery of the Trinity, we began to consider Jesus as the king, Jesus as the son of God, Jesus as the long awaited messiah. And in preparing us for this consideration, Keller wrote, I trust that you will find the figure of Jesus worthy of your attention, unpredictable, yet reliable, gentle, yet powerful, authoritative, yet humble, human, yet divine. I urge you to seriously consider the significance of his life in your own I urge you to consider the significance of his life in your own. And that's what we're going to do. Okay, so I warned you in last week's podcast that chapter one of Jesus the King was a little, a little much. Uh, We got into the Trinity And Tim Keller, inspired by the writings of his favorite author, C.S. Lewis, likened the relationships within the Trinity to a dance in which no person in the Trinity insists that the others revolve around him. And rather, each of them voluntarily circles and orbits around the others. And Keller says, because the Father, Son, and Spirit are giving glorifying love to one another, God is infinitely, profoundly happy. And so God did not create the world to get love because he already had that. So why, Keller asks, would a triune God create a world? Why would he create us? And Keller says there is only one answer. He must have created us not to get joy, but to give it. I'm just going to read you a chunk of what Tim Keller wrote at the bottom of page 10 and on to page 11. God must have created us to invite us into the dance, to say, if you glorify me, if you center your entire life on me, if you find me beautiful for who I am in myself then you will step into the dance, which is what you were made for. You are made not just to believe in me or be spiritual in some general way, not just to pray and get a bit of inspiration when things are tough. You are made to center everything in your life on me, to think of everything in terms of your relationship with me, to serve me, unconditionally, that's where you'll find your joy. That's what the dance is about. So Keller's saying we were made to be in this dance with God. We cannot understand ourselves or our world apart from God. This relationship with God is what it is all about. Now, of course, that doesn't mean that the rest of our lives disappear. The people in our lives and the commitments in our lives are obviously still a part of our lives. But what he's saying is that these relationships and circumstances just orbit around our relationship with God as well. And this is how we make sense of our lives and live and thrive and grow. Now, <laughs> and just... Hearing that, I think that sounds terrific, doesn't it? Uh, Orbiting gracefully around God in this seamless dance that transcends all of the problems in this life and all the areas of sin and strongholds that trip us up. But uh, (laughs) that's not how it plays out generally. Sometimes we get a taste of that. And I think that's what the psalmist meant in Psalm 34, verse 8, when he wrote, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Sometimes we do get a taste of how good it is to be in a healthy, orbiting relationship with the Lord. But as Keller points out, Jesus' life makes it clear to us that even though the ultimate reality is a dance, we're going to experience that reality as a battle. Immediately after being baptized, God's word in Mark chapter one, verses 12 through 13 says that the spirit sent Jesus out into the desert and he was in the desert 40 days being tempted by Satan. If you didn't get a chance to listen to the fourth podcast, Guilt and Shame Covered, I want to recommend that you go back and listen to that as you consider the reality of Satan and other evil personal supernatural beings, because as Keller noted, the Bible consistently treats Satan as a reality and not as a myth. And what Satan does, as is explained in detail in the gospel of uh, Matthew chapter four, verses one through 11, is that he tempts Jesus to step out of the dance, to step out of orbit, around the Father and the Spirit and others. And instead, Keller notes, Satan wants Jesus to center on himself. He wants Jesus to protect himself. He wants Jesus to seek to make himself the center of everything. And he does the same thing to us today. Keller does a great job of explaining why this is a problem on page nine. He writes, Self-centeredness makes everything else a means to an end. If everyone is saying, no, you orbit around me, what happens? Picture five people, ten people, a hundred people on a stage together, and every one of them wants to be the center. They all just stand there and say to others, you move around me, and nobody gets anywhere. The dance becomes hazardous, if not impossible. I also thought sometimes, and at its root it's still selfishly motivated but sometimes we are willing to orbit around someone or something else like our friend whose approval and friendship we really want or our career or our things our possessions Uh, but when we orbit around something or someone who, who was not created to satisfy our soul we're left wounded every time We ended our reading this week by considering the call of God. God calls each one of us to repent and believe the gospel. And as Keller explained, repent means to reverse course or to turn away from something. And I want to add that this also means to go in a new way or to go in a different way than you've already been going. And what way is that? That way is the gospel. The Greek word for gospel is euangelion, and it means news that brings joy. Keller says a gospel was some event that changed things in a meaningful way. It is an announcement of something that has happened in history, and we need to understand the difference between religion and the gospel. At one point in this chapter, Keller asked, How do you feel when you are given good advice on how to live? When someone says, here's the love you ought to have or integrity you ought to have. And maybe they illustrate that by telling a story of some great hero. When you hear that, how does it make you feel? And Keller says, sure, to some degree you feel inspired, but do you feel your burdens fall off? Keller argues that of course you don't. He says, hearing this weighs you down because you compare yourself to that standard and often you can't reach it. Or if you can reach it and you do reach it, it will cause you to look down on other people who don't reach it. So in other words, it will cause feelings of superiority. So reaching moral standards can actually cause different kinds of flaws in your character. And Keller says religion is like this. Religion is like good advice. Advice on how you must live to earn your way to God. The gospel, however, is not advice. Keller says the gospel is good news. It's the good news that you don't need to earn your way to God. Jesus has already done it for you. And it's a gift that you receive by sheer grace through God's thoroughly unmerited favor. We, through Christ, have been given a gift to be in a relationship with a holy God, even though we are not a holy people. Christ made a way for us to get back into the dance, the dance that Adam and Eve stepped out of in the Garden of Eden, and the dance that... You and I continually step out of every time we choose our own way instead of the Lord's. And even if we step out of that dance 77 times today, even if we step out of that dance 77 times today, we always can step back into the dance. We are never counted out. We are always invited to pick right back up and dance. I do have some more good news for you, and that is, as you dance, God refines your skills. He teaches you the steps. He shows you how to transition. He enables you to anticipate, and you get better and better, and you can actually start to stay in time, and you don't step out of orbit as frequently, and you start to move more fluidly and gracefully, and you really enjoy it. And you didn't need to work for it because God did it. You kept stepping back into dance and faith. Every time you stepped out, you didn't let that defeat you. You didn't count yourself out. You remembered it was a gift, and you received that gift every time you started to orbit around a holy God who, by the blood of his Son, invited you to dance. apologize if you were getting a little feedback in that last segment I am working with pretty basic sound equipment over here and I'm not super technical so I don't understand what causes that hopefully it wasn't too distracting anyway I'm getting ready to close this out but before I do I had to mention Tim Keller's reference to George MacDonald's children's book The Princess and the Goblin I loved that story I hope you read it If you didn't, be sure to check it out. Uh, Tim's summary of it starts at the bottom of page 24, and it's just a great analogy for how it is sometimes as we dance through this battlefield of life with the Lord. It seems straight up crazy sometimes. The directions he tells us to take, the steps he wants us to make, the circumstances that come into our lives, but as we get to know him and trust him, We come to understand in the deepest, surest ways that he is good and he is trustworthy. Next week, we are going to read chapters three and four of Tim Keller's book, Jesus the King. And out of the Bible, we are going to read Mark chapters two and three. Again, that's chapters three and four out of Tim Keller's book, Jesus the King. And out of the Bible, we are going to read Mark chapters two and three. If at any point, again, you forget what we're scheduled to read this week, uh, you can always check that out under the resources section of my website, amyonthehill.com. And please don't forget to write me with your questions, comments, and or thoughts about our reading this week. I'd really like to have some of you on the podcast at some point in the near future. I know I talked to some of you about that already, and I just wanted to say I'm sorry if you are getting sick of hearing just me talking every week. It was so nice when I had Kelly on a few weeks ago. It's just that editing conversations takes so much time and I've been strapped for time the last few weeks um, because for now I'm recording and editing this podcast by myself. So it's a little easier for me just to talk through this stuff on my own, but I do want you to be a part of this so please write me or send me voice messages so I can incorporate your thoughts and comments into the podcast as well and hopefully uh, at some point in the not too distant future I'll be able to to work something out where I will be able to have some of you actually come on and participate as well okay so that's it thanks again for listening today I'm praying for you as you tackle the reading this week and I hope You enjoy and savor that time. Wherever you find yourself, quiet before the Lord, away from all the noise this world is blasting at us from every direction at all times, sneak away with him, dance with him. Let him show you what you were made for. As we close, please receive this benediction from Numbers chapter 6, verses 24 through 26. The Lord bless you and keep you, the lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you the lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace